Well, welcome back to the Task Talks Podcast, podcast where we talk about all the goings on in the world of school psychology, education, random thoughts, and sometimes just fantasy football because it's that time of the year. As always, I am your host, Christopher Ponce, and I have the lads joining me today. What's going on, Brooke? Hi, Chris. You know, I was just thinking this is actually Tuesday night, and this episode actually comes on the air tomorrow on Wednesday morning. Like, this is the closest that we've recorded in all time. I think next week we should do a Wednesday morning and put Kia under the pressure since it's very hard. like Brooke and I are like, this is so crazy. And we're like, all right, bye guys. And Kia. Hard, yeah. Hard pass on the Wednesday morning episode. <laughs> how's it going? How's it going, Kia? Good, good. It is, uh, it's been a busy few, few days to start the week here, but this is, but this is great. Yeah. We can be very topical today. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Because we have a very special guest with us today, our own TASC graduate student representative, Morgan Scula. What's going on, Morgan? Nothing much. Happy to be here on a Tuesday evening. Yes, we are. Tuesday evening before the episode comes out on Wednesday. How many times are we going to shoehorn that into this episode? Uh, So, Morgan, (laughs) we brought you on here for two reasons, three reasons. One, because from all I've heard, you are brilliant and you are conquering a divide and bringing two groups of people together. We'll talk about that here in a minute. Another reason is we kind of want to talk about doctoral programs in general, since a few of us on this, you know, this podcast are in doctoral programs in different areas of the program in different well, two of us are at the same program. And then finally, since we do have task convention coming up, we kind of want to touch base and see kind of what you have in store with us and maybe some surprises that involve the other three lads here for convention. So, but first, before we get to all that stuff, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you're from, and kind of how you found the world of school psych. Okay, cool. Well, hello, my name is Morgan Sakula. I am in my third year um, in the school psychology doctoral program at Texas A&M. Um, I was actually born while my mom was a student at A&M. Um, and so I found my way back into it. So I always like to say I've been to A&M before, um, even though yeah. I'm only a student there for three years officially. Um, I'm it's changed um, a little bit since I was here the first time. but <laughs> <laughs> Always very attentive student. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Even but but yeah and I grew up in a, like a rural town outside east side San Antonio um went to undergrad at UT Austin and I kind of found my way into school psychology during um the COVID pandemic I was a behavior therapist and I was providing ABA services for kiddos with autism and I found a lot of my job during that time was facilitating school because <laughs> we had kiddos who were used to having um, more support. And then whenever we had to move in home, um, that support wasn't you know, feasible to be there. And so mm-hmm. that kind of partnership working with the schools. And then I was able to take a couple classes um, in the educational psychology realm and meet a living, breathing school psychologist who told me about the field um, and got, kind of got me interested in it and got me started on this path. Awesome. What's your bachelor's in? Uh, child human. It's just a really long name. I always joke. <laughs> it, I thought it was the longest major at UT, but there was somebody in aerospace who beat me. It was always my fun fact. And then I met my match my senior year. And I was like, oh, darn, I can't say that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was honors in advanced human development and family sciences. What is that? This, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a really cool degree. I really enjoyed it. Um, we took a lot of classes on human development, lifespan development, um, interpersonal relationships. And then towards the, you know, after my freshman year, I really started focusing on child development. Um, so we took a lot of child development classes. There's an amazing, it's called uh, the Purcell Lab School at UT Austin. And uh, we were able to work in there, learn how to take narrative observations, work with kids. Um, and it's an amazing lab school. Um, and That's so, the yeah, so the HDFS, we do a lot with the that uh, lab school on campus. So it's really cool. And you can kind of create your own adventure with it if you want to take more child-focused classes, more adolescent. Um, and then the honors, I was able to get that because I had to do a thesis. So Nice, smart, smart, I'm so brilliant. <laughs> so then, and then so from that, you parlayed into like working, you said with kids with autism, that were you, did you become like an RBT or a BCBA or? Yeah, yeah. So I became an RBT. That was kind of a weird story too. Um, Part of my major was you had to do an internship. Um, And there was this really cool interdisciplinary clinic 
um, that focused on providing comprehensive care for children with autism. Um, so on the staff was a physician, nutritionist, BCBA. Um, there was a research team and then kind of like a child advocate role. And so I was just like the general intern. I would just like work the front desk and I got to see the inner workings of what everybody was doing. Um, and there's also a child psychologist there. And so I was able to shadow them and I was asking her, like, you know, what's the best way for me to get the clinical experience, you know, still being in my degree. Um, and so I was able to shadow and get my RBT under the BCBA there um, and then work, um, like I'll do a lot of telehealth once COVID happened my junior year. <laughs> so, okay, so you were there and you transitioned over into A&M and the school psych program. This living, breathing school psych you met, are they the one that told you to apply or were you like, that's a school psych, let me look that up real quick. And then you just kind of fell into it. Yeah, so I was always interested um, being in a rural community. I know I've wanted to work and give back to rural communities. Um, and so kind of the way my brain was conceptualizing it is I knew I wanted to provide mental health services. And not every rural community has a hospital or a clinic, um, but they have a school. Um, so to me, I kind of thought of it through like a public health lens that if I wanted to serve this community and the services that I wanted to provide was mental health care, schools would be a good route. Um, and so I was able to do the educational psychology minor. And then I took an intro to school psychology class with David Klingbill. He's no longer at UT Austin. Um, but that class really opened my eyes to the world of school psychology and reframed schools as, you know, kind of being the public health of mental health for a lot of our kids. Yeah. And there was a lot of mentorship. There was actually a school psych uh, doctoral student who's our TA. Um, so I got coffee with her and just kind of found my way into the field. This intro to school psych class, that's interesting. I've, I haven't heard of, Brooke, Kia, have you heard other schools having intro to school psych classes? Yeah, actually, uh, West Texas A&M University in Canyon, okay. um, when Dr. Julie Day was there, she did a I love intro Julie. to school psych uh, course that she developed. Um, in fact, she made uh, her students listen to this podcast uh, if so, she's listening, where where is she at now? Like Tennessee? She's or in she's in Tennessee now. So uh, yeah. that was uh, <laughs> yeah. That's how we increased our viewers, our, our uh, audience to fourteen. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> okay, so so they have an intro to school psych class. You took that as an undergrad, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is a weird question. What did you guys go over? Because I feel like the school psych world is so vast. How do you kind of conceptualize that and compartment carp? compartmentalize that into a intro class you just talk about assessment mental health in <laughs> schools ethics like what the hell there's so many domains yeah. Yeah, there is. And it's really testing my long term retrieval because I took this class my sophomore year of undergrad. So that would have been now five years ago. Uh, so I could probably pull up a syllabus, but I was just checking. Um, so they have offered it fall 2023. So right now they're offering it spring 2023, but it's a different professor. Uh, Dr. Gerhardt is teaching it now. When Dr. Kleinbill taught it, um, he really focused on Oh, this is really testing my long term too. Well, we did a, we covered a lot of the research. We talked about what is a school psychologist, where can school psychologists work, what are the licensures. Yeah. Um, we briefly covered like um, multi tiered systems of support. Briefly covered RTI. It was like the first time I saw like the triangles, which I have now like learned that everything in schools like there's a triangle um, or Bronfenbrenner circle somewhere in any every. <laughs> Um, and so well, here, I, I, I want you to make you try to remember everything out of there, but that's really fascinating to me because I didn't know about school psychology until I applied to grad school way back in whatever, 2012 or 2013. And I saw school psych underneath clinical psych. So that's fascinating. Okay. So let's kind of get into the doctoral part of our conversation here. Mm -hmm. And I think we'll kind of all kind of, I speak to this, but since you are our guest, Morgan, will let you go first. So an actual honest question, why do you go doctoral route instead of the master specialist route? That's a great question. And I think um, COVID really, I just, I keep this like another another word that we're going to say other than Tuesday evening. Um, but yeah. <laughs> was always, but remember the episode comes out on Wednesday. We're going to do a quick turnaround on this in 24 hours. Guys. Yeah, I was always very clinically um, 
focus. I didn't think I could be a researcher. I didn't think research was something that I would enjoy, um, that I would like to do and that I was competent enough to do. Like nobody where I'm from was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a researcher or I'm a data scientist. Um, and so whenever COVID forced all of us to go online and I was doing telehealth, I was also working on my thesis and I had some extra time on my hands. So I picked up doing some research work um, with another HDFS um, faculty member and we did coding, we did qualitative, quantitative, um, I was finishing up my thesis and that kind of encapsulated that I can do research and I really, really enjoy it. Um, but right. I also didn't, I also didn't want to give up my clinical skills or working with kids. Um, cause that was something too, during the, the lockdown period, I really missed seeing the kids, engaging with them and seeing them in person. Um, so the reason why I wanted to do the doctor is because I wanted the opportunity to engage in research as well as like keeping up clinical competencies and being able through different phases of life to, you know, be in the clinic and see kids. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of why I wanted the doctorate over, over um, like the specialist, because I really enjoyed um, the research, the consultation, um, all that kind of stuff. No, that makes sense. And then why did we go to AIM? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kia. So, you know, it, the other thing I think is interesting is like, you know, you said you had this very clear vision of, wanting to work in the the rural school rural communities and recognizing and I think wisely so you know that that's school-based mental health is going to be the way in which you can do that uh, because again all those other factors you talked about which is just great recognition but what is that kind of understanding done like when because I feel like you know an undergrad you know you're figuring out where you want to go there's all these different pieces that you're trying to work at whereas now you're in graduate school you're like you have this vision and you're trying to execute on the vision. So how does that change kind of your school experience then with that focus? Um, if, that makes, if that makes sense. I think maybe I understand. So I like always think about it as, okay, we have a passion. And then how do we find the population that like we want to help and that we want? Um, and I think a lot of times our passion and our population go back to who we are and how we were raised and our own experiences. And so I think the question was like, why this population or how did I like narrow my focus on that? Um, growing up in a rural community, I think um, there was a lot of benefits. Um, I always knew who people were, even though everybody knew your drama, <laughs> you knew if something was wrong, um, they were always there for you as well. And so that kind of tight knit community um, for me was protective, um, but I actually lost a really close family member. Um, to some struggles with mental health whenever I was a senior, um, my brother Ben. And so that really um, changed my focus and made me kind of want to do like mental health for children in rural communities um, because that access to care uh, was always a struggle. And so I've always had that since that experience my senior year in high school, kind of like like the light in, in my head of like what I wanted to do. Um, and I think in terms of research, I came into grad school with some research experience, um, but I always just try to keep like an open mind and just say yes to opportunities, um, such as this task position. And I think you find your way into different communities of research. Um, and within that, I've really enjoyed like assessment for special populations, um, access um, to mental health care for rural communities. Right now I'm a GA for T-Chat, which is an amazing service that provides teletherapy and connects children um, if they need to, to psychiatrists um, in, in the rural communities. And I think now we're serving over 3 million like students in Texas, um, not just A&M's hub, but you know, T-Chat as a whole. Um, so now I'm getting to work on research and clinically serve, you know, the population that that's my passion. Yeah. Have you kind of singled down what your research focus is yet? Or are you still kind of in that process? As Chris, is fishing. Chris is fishing for ideas. It's like, oh, what are you thinking? Yes. Let me see. <laughs> what have you, have you ever thought about like, uh, <laughs> because I, because my, my, I mean, my doctoral studies are focus is going to, is around rural school psychs as well, right? It's, it's the plight of the rural school psych, you know, and that comes and that stems from when I was a task board member. So I went as an area rep uh, on the task board and working with region 15, the San Angelo area, I had monthly meetings where we would meet up every month and talk about things and just do like basic consultation because these are people 
like we come from a bit of a privileged state where I have like 24 school sites in my district and I'm like a smaller size district. I mean, there's a district in San Antonio has over a hundred school psychologists mm-hmm. on staff, which is insane. Um, but these are areas out in West Texas where there's one school site for seven districts maybe, or there's one in Del Rio who services 10,000 students by herself. And so these are people who don't see other school sites on a daily basis where I can throw a baseball I just walk out on my camps and throw a baseball and I might hit a school. So there's a school psych over there. And so just hearing and understanding what they have to go through on a daily basis, which is totally different than me. These are people who have been far more experienced than I have, like years and decades more than me. And yet I bring up a, what I think is a common, this is just an example, a commonly used assessment. And they're like, I've never seen one. We don't even have that in our district because they just can't afford it or they just don't do that type of stuff. Right. So Understanding that there's a whole need and niche population of school sites within the school sites who require needs and services that aren't readily available to them is something that really kind of pushed me in the direction of going and like you doing research and figuring out what we can do to better serve these populations within our very shortage of populations. So is that kind of where you kind of come from too, is you saw a need and you're like, how can I help? How can I build up research in this area? Sorry, and that was almost like, I know I went off for like 45 minutes, but that was like one whole sentence, no periods, no commas. <laughs> yeah, my research interests are really on like assessment practices for special populations. Um, so looking at things like longitudinal growth curves of like social skills development or, or um, cognitive ability and academic achievement for children from various special populations. And then for my dissertation, I'm really looking, uh, there's a specific, I don't want to like, I don't, nothing signed yet, but looking at children with neurodevelopmental disorders and seeing if factors like geographic location, um, race, ethnicity, um, disability category has anything to do with uh, uh, self-determination, things like that, that has any predictive validity on transition post high school and in, you know, post-secondary programs. And so my research isn't so, I guess, neatly packaged up for rural populations, Um, but I see that by researching assessment for special populations, um, you can, as a rural rural school psychologist, you can provide um, such specialized care, um, valid care. That's kind of how I see it connecting for myself, Um, but I haven't done any specific research on like school psychologists in rural communities. And in your program, is it, so your third year, Mm -hmm. you have to do like internship and stuff right now too, or no? So right now, so the way that A&M's program works is if you come in and you're not a specialist um, already, you're not practicing um, as an LSSP or an LPC or an LPA or anything like that. Um, So from my perspective, coming in with a bachelor's degree, my first year was I was in the books, I was in the classes, I was doing research. And then my second year, um, we do therapy practicum and integrated assessment practicum. And then our third year, we're in our school-based practicum. So I'm in a school, also working on research and taking classes. And then our fourth year um, is an externship and then dissertation. And then our fifth year is our internship. Beautiful. Okay. I was wondering, because every program is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can kind of, so you went a different route than like Brooke and I did, where Brooke and I were practitioners first and then went back to school. Brooke, for you, when you made that choice, what what kind of led you down that path to say like, hey, I think I want to go back and put myself through this again to become a doctor? Uh, well, mine is more of a failure. Um, I, <laughs> um, when I finished undergrad, I was a baby. I was 20 years old. And I so thought you're I one of those fancy have... ones that went have graduated early. Uh, well, I just, I thought I would have a PH, I intended to have a PhD by the time I was 25 and I have now failed miserably, uh, in no. that. Um, we all run our own so, race, like Francis Chan said. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Back in season um, one. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I, and it, and it wasn't for, I mean, it wasn't going to be in school psychology. I was just ready. I just wanted to. Uh, accomplish that by the time I was was 25 and life hit me and um, 
you know, things kind of changed. So and your daughter is a beautiful grown up woman now. She, yeah, she is. She is. Um, <laughs> we're very proud of her. But um, I don't know. For me, returning was just about, um, I guess, wanting to be in academia and um, wanting to train school psychologists um, and and grad students uh, in in best practices and um, helping them to see that sometimes the model that we use in Texas as assessment and evaluation specialists um, is just a very narrow scope of what school psychologists should be trained to, to do and to implement. And, um, and so that was kind of my, my reasoning was um, to, to move into some form of, um, of academia and I don't I don't necessarily um, I'm not as fond of the research as Morgan is um, and so that's what's <laughs> been most challenging for me along this hall is is you know getting the motivation to to do the writing and to do the the studies and um, so that's that's been the challenge for me yeah and maybe we can all kind of touch on here and we'll let Morgan go first like so for those who are thinking about going back to get their doctorate or for those random individuals who we love who are actually not school psychologists and they're like, or they're an undergrad and they're like, man, I want to go get my doctorate. So Morgan, what was your like step process, right? So you figured out you wanted to become, go get your doctorate. Did you reach out to somebody at Texas A&M? Like how did that work for you? And we'll kind of, maybe I'll talk about our experiences. Yeah, so um, I think my experience was a little different than maybe right now actually I'm not sure but because I'm also I sometimes help with um like our recruitment and things like that at AM. um but everything was online for me all of my interviews um all the applications and so it really um made less barriers for applying because a lot uh, during that year a lot of the application um, fees were also waived um, so that kind of barrier to have to travel to interviews or you know pay another 150 dollar fee to apply somewhere else um, at the time that I was applying to grad school, my husband was applying to medical school. Um, and so if you can think of the map of the United States, we kind of threw 50 darts on the map. And where we ended up, where we could feasibly um, commute, um, we felt like there were good programs for both of us, not just one was really, really good. And then one was, we didn't really feel like it was a good fit. Um, that's where we ended up. And I don't know the odds. Um, it's probably like insane odds that we actually found programs within, you know, two and a half hours of each other that we both really, really liked. Um, and it just so happened that the advisor I was applying under, um, I had found her research online and I just felt like it really aligned um, with my core values, my research. And then I went to like a prospective student orientation where the faculty talked about their research, talked about the culture, talked about um, the program's values, their commitment to student. And that kind of really sold me. Um, and so that's where, that's why I went to AM. Just snowball down from there, right? So did you reach out to that professor that had the similar interests as mm -hmm. you? Yeah, I did a lot of cold emailing, um, which I'm not sure what the response rate on that was. It may be like that could be an interesting <laughs> research topic. Um, but I also think it was a weird time because everybody was at home. So checking yeah. email and recruitment, um, I think that was more on the forefront of people's brain. So I would just cold email and I'd have really specific questions. Um, I get emails sometimes and it's like I'm interested in this and it's going to be hard to respond or know, like know what kind of information like folks um wanted or needed and so I try to try to have specific questions um and yeah I would just cold email and then apply and take the GRE <laughs> cry a couple times and you know pick yourself back up and get on going so you're part of go ahead keep well uh I was curious, and so thinking about this, you know, the idea of cold emailing, like I think it's just so true. <clears throat> Let me try this all again, hang on. <laughs> so 
the theme I think I've heard over and over again, Morgan, I think it's just a really cool quality is just like your willingness to put yourself out there um, and, and reach out to people and to explore these opportunities and that. And I think that's just such a valuable skill that regardless of what you do serves you really well. And I think it's something that, you know, is really important when you're operating in a field of human services, especially child services, is being comfortable with putting yourself out there with, with, you know, just saying the thing, you know, reaching out to the person, trying to get the information, you know, doing whatever, what you need to do. And so I just think that's really cool. I just, and I, I've just noticed that as a through line is like all you've, as you've told all these different stories. And I just think that's really cool. So that was it. I think I think you kind of have to have that type of personality and perspective in order to go this route anyways, because you're going like I cold emailed a professor and I put all my eggs in one basket and I set up an interview with Dr. Stevens at Texas Tech and that ended up going very well. And so that's what kind of helped me, you know, be like, all right, this is the place I need to be at. So then I went through with the application process and here I am. But you get you have to kind of I mean, you're going for your doctorate, right? Like this isn't, you know, this is kind of the big league. So you need to kind of put yourself out there and start building and networking with those other professors and relationships and building those relationships. Um, Brooke, let's see here. How can I say this? In 1997, when you first applied, uh, what was it like? Was it hard because everybody was so worried about Y2K? Um, And did you have to (laughs) mail in your application? (laughs) Yes, the application was actually completed um, in the mail um, with actual stamps. And um, I applied to uh, my initial application. I applied to three different universe, three different programs, um, and I was put on a waiting list on one of them. Um, and then I finally got in. I got the letter in the mailbox, uh, and I finally I, got in. I will say. Way. I will say I wish there was like a letter I got or a more, I don't know how to say this. I wish there was more of a celebration whenever I like got accepted, right? Because through the tech program, Morgan, you tell us about your program and Brooke, your letter sounds phenomenal. Like I would have loved that because mine was like, oh, you've been admitted. Go to this website and say yes or no. And my wife and I were sitting right next to me and I'm like, all right, I'm going to say yes. I bet you it's going to be like a fun little email. I hit yes. And all of a it was like, thank you. And that was the end of it. And it was very anticlimactic. And I just feel like with some type of acceptance, there should have been like, just like little mini fireworks or something like, welcome. We're excited to have your money. Or something like that. (laughs) We get to keep doing what we're doing because you're going to pay us. Yeah. I actually got a physical letter. You I did. got a letter in the mail with the stamp. I still have it. It's in my scrapbook. Um, and then I got an email from my advisor that I had applied under. Um, and yeah, it was really exciting because I had figured out I had gotten accepted like um, a couple weeks before my husband had to rank his schools for med school. So I was on pins and needles um, because depending on where how fast the turnaround was with acceptances depended on where he was going to rank and what if he ranked the wrong place. So it was really exciting. And to get like the little paper with the A&M logo and I sent all the pictures. And so it was fun. So hey, Morgan, what, what, uh, <laughs> what was the best advice you got when you were, when you were um, applying and, and checking programs out? I didn't really get advice when I was applying. I would say there's not really many people I know that have done um, like PhDs. And so I kind of just wing it. So I guess my advice for people who are applying this cycle is identify your passion and your population. Um, If you don't have a lot of research experience, as long as you can identify a passion for the future or a population for the future, um, I think that's really important to like, just, just to show your research potential, even if you haven't had the opportunity to, you know, do a lot of lab work or be on, you know, publications or anything like that. Um, I, I think that, I, I think that's really important. And sometimes it really goes unnoticed. People are focused on trying to get their next advanced degree and they're not necessarily looking at the fit of the program and the faculty and why that program and faculty 
member would select them as a student in in the program. And so in that in that right, you know, in that essay, you really have to make that case. And and I I can't state that strong enough um, that there there has to be in order for a faculty member to accept you as a student, they've got to see a reason for doing that that actually benefits them as well. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny because like Morgan just had a really great explanation for my jokey answer because when people have asked me that it's like are you going to go back to school and get your PhD or anything like that and I always tell people I'm like I'll go back to school when I know what I want to be when I grow up uh, yeah. which is the the goofy way of saying the actual like real answer that Morgan kind of said there is like knowing <laughs> what that's for because um, that's always been my glib response when people are like that I'm like when I know what I want to be when I grow up that's when I'll go back to school so, <laughs> so the passion and the population really that's why I really like the doctorate route. Um, it can be um, inaccessible, but with the opportunities um, for research GAs, clinical GAs, um, you get a vast wide training opportunity so that when you graduate, not only can you get your LSSP, you can get your LP, you can practice independently, you can practice in clinics, hospitals, private practice, uh, academia. So I almost think the doctorate for Kia, for you, would be would be good because then you don't have to, I feel like, narrow down into one um, like sphere. You can expand. And if you have a year where it's like, oh, things are really, really rough for me, or I, I want to focus on my family this year, being able to like contract independently outside of the schools is something that was always really appealing to me with a doctorate is you have more avenues um, like for, for career. I think some other big advice broke, and I think it's important to kind of thought about it as Morgan was talking is make sure you really look into the program that you're wanting to do because each program is different mm -hmm. and each one is based and kind of they have focuses around different things so um this is just an honest question Morgan with your program are you allowed to work outside of school Oof. or do you have to be like an assistant or a research assistant for your program so I I'm not sure if there is like an A&M policy or school psychology policy. I can just share with experiences that I know that some of my colleagues in the program who are LSSPs are able to do. They have gotten clearance from their advisor because they're advanced practitioners that for some of them, it made more sense for them and their family to continue contracting as an LSSP rather than taking a significant pay cut doing like an entry level GA. Um, but I believe that's like on a case by case basis. You've got to get, you know, advisor approval um, and make sure it's all copacetic. Um, I don't know there's any hard and fast rule for our program that says like you can't work outside of your program. It's more what's the best fit for you to get through it um, and how can you like stay up on your work? I will say um, in terms of like A&M's program, the reason why I liked it is because it was clinical and research. But if you're applying to schools, keep that in mind um, because it's basically doing two degrees at one time. So it is very, very rigorous, um, but you're getting that dual training across the time versus there's some other more clinical programs or some school psychology doctorate programs who are all research. They don't, they don't go out and about um, into the clinics really at all. Um, so look, download the handbooks on websites is something that I did. And I would look like, at the year by year courses and see what is the typical course? What are the typical um, contracts that this program has with like external places. And I really liked A&M's program because I wanted to get trained, you know, in the clinic, in the schools, and then have the opportunity for like a third placement. So I found that to be really cool. Yeah. And, I, and again, that research component is incredibly important. I was where I was at with my life. Like my wife's a BCBA. I know she can get a job anywhere, but we have a house here. We have children, all of our families in San Antonio. So I had to be very strategic with the program I chose. We weren't in the option where we could move to a different city. I couldn't be in a program where I wasn't allowed to, I shouldn't say wasn't allowed, where I would have to, you know, make it so I could be a school psych still. And so that actually eliminated a lot of programs. So the tech program was the best fit for me. I could still get my doctorate. I could still get my LP, but I didn't have to move to a different city and I can still get everything done. So I didn't have to uproot everything. Now, do I have to drive up to Lubbock once a month? Yes, small price to pay for not having to do all that rest of that stuff. So that's what's best fit for me. 
And I think also reaching out to those professors beforehand is incredible, is big too. Um, just looking at their research, just because like Dr. Sakula's research aligns with me. If I don't meet with her beforehand, I may find out too late that we do not fit and I don't, and she may not like me at all, um, which that can be very loud and talkative. And so that might be something that's totally against what she wants to do. But I would have known that beforehand if I had already met with them and I'm like, all right, I'm like, it's getting like a weird vibe off of you or something like that. But I think that's important. not just like the emails are important, but email and then meet with them, you know, and talk to them and have that conversation. I met with Dr. Stevens for almost two hours for our first talk. And all we did was just kind of talk about research and why I wanted to do the program. So she really vetted me and asked me good questions that made me think like, is this what I really want to do? And at the end of it, I was like, hell yeah, let's just, let's get this thing going and just go from there. So, and so I just more stuff based on Brooke's question about advice. Yeah. <clears throat> Before we move into the task convention part of our conversation, does anybody else have any questions, doctoral questions or grad school questions or Morgan, anything we didn't talk about that you want to bring up? Quick, sell your program right now to everybody who's listening so they can apply. Mm -hmm. Go now. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I think <laughs> I'm kidding. You don't have to do that. <laughs> no, but I, I do want to say, I think the best thing about our program, um, my advisor right now is amazing um, and has been a, a key part. But for me, I think the best part of it has been the community of like my cohort members. We have such a vast range of students who have very, very different backgrounds. And I don't think there's one um, like linear path to school psychology. Uh, and I think that makes learning and growing with them amazing, but pro the program's tough. I mean, timing is hard. I mean, it's 8.30 on a Tuesday. <laughs> um, and this is typical, like working into the evenings. And I know that's true for practitioners in the field as well. Um, but without that sense of community from like my core members, they've become some of my best friends. I know I can rely on them, um, whether for a joke, for a funny school psych meme, um, or <laughs> help on a project, especially for those advanced practitioners who, whenever we were learning what the heck is a whisk, had given it a hundred times. Um, so I think that's invaluable and something you can't really measure in like admissions or on like a school website or anything like that. It's just like the people and how awesome they are. Absolutely. I agree, Morgan. All right. So we all know the task convention is coming up. It's our annual shindig that we like to come and have fun time with all of you school psychs that are listening. And we always have a graduate student series. So Morgan has the dubious honor of putting it on this year. Dubious honor. Dubious? <laughs> dubious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Morgan, I think you're going a different route than the past couple of years, right? Past couple of years, we've usually done a panel mm -hmm. where there are school sites of varying experiences on there, just kind of talking about their experience, but you, you're taking this a different route. You kind of want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think panels are awesome. Um, but just like with my own personal experience, uh, experiences of some of my cohort members and just like general, like question marks on life. Um, one of the burdens of grad school is obviously the financial burden, especially if you were a full-time practitioner, you're taking a significant pay cut um, to come to grad school um, and put in a lot of hours. Um, and that's a lot, of, it's very stressful, um, especially if your GA is only a nine-month GA. And then it's like, okay, well, what do I do in the summer? I'm still supposed to take summer classes. Um, so that financial burden was something that I've seen be a huge stressor for myself personally um, and for other people in my cohort. So I was kind of wondering, on, okay, what could we do to increase um, the financial literacy, especially for um, if we've never had these conversations before, and then we just think, oh, I'll just wait till after I'm done with my doctorate. And then it's like, oh my goodness, then we're behind like another, uh, you feel like you're behind like another mountain again, you know, other than the mountain of grad grad school. So I just really wanted to have a session that focused on like financial literacy tips and tricks, and also just like a glimmer of hope. <laughs> so spending the time to gather some of the resources like scholarships that are out there and about, we have two awesome task scholarships, um, but just spreading the word on some of those, some of the national scholarships, and then um, loan forgiveness, how does that process work? Is that something we can do in Texas? I thought the federal government said there was no loan forgiveness. So just kind of debunking <laughs> some of those myths and like shedding some light on that to hopefully give grad students some of the tools um, to not make that financial burden go away, um, but help navigate that. Um, and so that hopefully it'll be less of a burden later in life. I think it's brilliant. And I've heard that you're going to have some fun 
guest speakers up there with you, correct? Oh yeah, the three best. <laughs> <laughs> so Morgan's hinting ads, Brooke Kia and I will be joining her and uh, you know, being, you know, support while she's kicking ass up there. And we'll just kind of throw in our, you know, our school psych stooge thoughts and opinions on certain things. Um, Kia, it's going to be a huge part of this as part as the only member of our crew who has successfully done public student loan forgiveness. Um, very excited to hear about that since I am two years away. Um, so that's going to be pretty fun. And then Brooke is going to be coming in with his wisdom um, because he's more experienced than us with some great facts about, you know, long-term financial planning. Correct, Brooke? Oh yeah, yeah. Brooke is like Brooke's got all this experience from having to deal with finances for so. You know, like how I trailed so, it. Like, where is he going? So long. So long. <laughs> Look, I'm telling you, you can lose your fortune and then make it back in school psychology. We're gonna teach you how. What? And that's how we're gonna fix the shortage. Awesome. So we yeah. figured it out. Financial. We never even went from this angle before. Um, we're very excited, Morgan. Do we know which day that one is in time? Yes, it is Saturday from 8.30 a.m. to 11.45 a.m. And there will be some incentives. We do believe in positive reinforcement. Um, and so for participation in the session, you have the opportunity to uh, be entered in a raffle for some really cool prizes. Yes. And of, and of course, registration is open now for the task conference in Frisco, including, you know, we're in the early bird registration. You have now until October to get registered and we have discounted rates for graduate students as well. Uh, so make sure you're getting registered so you can hear this um, session as well as all the other awesome stuff that's gonna be there. I do like how I've kind of dipped back into the graduate student rate for a bunch of different things, which is nice as I've gone back to school. <laughs> and Morgan, there's also opportunities to volunteer as a graduate student. Yes. So if you're interested in volunteering, um, you can email me that you're interested in and we'll put you on a list and we can have some more communication mid-October. And if you volunteer during convention, you can get up to half of your convention registration fees reimbursed. I mean, Brooks Coffee is not going to go fetch itself. And so that's why yeah, he yeah. wants that's why he wants all these grad students volunteering. <laughs> I can we, keep can't make busy. It. Kia makes a joke, but, and I know, Morgan, have you been to a task conference before? I have not. Okay, so these two gentlemen are so damn busy during the entire convention that, like, it is such a credit to them that everything, and I know there's a, a bunch of other people involved, but for, you know, I can only speak to them, too, because they're sitting right here. They do so much work to help out with this, but Jessica Grevy, Christy, Dr. Chapman, the whole crew, they put so much time and effort into this. Um, and I never really knew that until I was on the board and I was like, I'm just sitting here like scanning badges, but Brooke's been down here since 6am, like, and Kia has been here at the same time, like checking people in and dealing with problems. So this coffee needs to be fetched is my point <laughs> that I'm trying to make. So, <laughs> all right, Morgan. So we want, we finish every episode off with a nice little fun, rapid response questions for our guests that are just off the cuff answers for just random questions that I have curated over the past couple of years. Okay. Okay. I feel like I should have prepared. Good. No, you're fine. No, no, it's not fun if you prepare. People okay. sometimes get these beforehand and they write in their answers, and that's not fun because then it's not you thinking on the spot. All right. Okay. All right. So, what is the square root? I'm just kidding. Um, what <laughs> did you do as your last like actual profession before school psychology? I was before this world. Yeah, I was an RBT. An RBT. That's right. What was your yeah, first like paycheck job? My mom's a florist. Um, and so I worked in her flower shop and throughout undergrad, I did wedding coordinating and floral, floral design. That is like my secret, like passion job. I would love to do is be a florist. Like, I just love it so much. I love, there's this reality TV show on H on max. That's all it is. is like flower competitions and creating arrangements. And I'm like, that seems freaking amazing. And I would yeah. love to do that shit. Transfer to AM because there's a competitive floral design team. And my mom was on it when she had me. Um, and you can like travel to nation, like competing in floral design. So uh, and that's another recruitment thing for AM. There you go. <laughs> next, next degree is already planned out, Chris. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. The two most random professions of guests we've had on the show are random competitions is that and then Dr. Nancy Razzo, who was in a competitive mariachi band. In, in grad in, in college too so that's really fun all right do you prefer binge watching tv or doing weekly episodes 
if I had all the time in the world, I would love a binge watch. Um, but as my Google calendar is by the hour, uh, you know, weekly, you know, daily wind down. Okay. Nice. I'm going to take that as a point for me. Not these fools who binge watch everything. That's not her preference. If she wasn't in grad school, <laughs> she'd be binging. She just told you that. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that same topic, what are you watching right now? Uh, right now we're watching Suits. Um, and yeah, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. A nice fun procedural, if you guys want to watch, is called Dark Winds. It's now on Max. It is a bit of a true detective with indigenous people on a reservation. Sars Zane McLaren, who is a phenomenal indigenous actor who's been in a bunch of stuff, but really hasn't been put in the forefront. So Dark Winds, watch it. Six episodes season. Fun fact about yourself. That's not floral based. Oh. Mm. I was in drumline in high school. That's cool. Did you did you like that? Did you enjoy oh, it? All four I years? I, uh, so I did it for two years, um, and then I was drum major. Um, but I, I loved being a drumline. Some of my best. Memories. Okay, well, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to ask the next question, which is, what is an obscure thing that you're talented at? Because I feel like that might be drums. Yeah. <laughs> or is there another answer as well? <laughs> yeah, no, that's the cool thing with percussion, and maybe that's why I'm a school psychologist, is because you get trained in a lot of different things. So drums, uh, marimba, timpani. That's actually how I met my husband was a timpani solo. So. Yeah, I, I love. What's it. a timpani? I, we don't. I don't so know what a timpani. The timpani is. is like in concert band. Yeah, so it's like the big drum, and they it's basically they each they each can do like different notes. So it's kind of like drums meets a piano. Got it. Got it, Brooke. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. can jump in, Brooke. No, those were really cool. I wanted to be a percussionist, but they put me on the woodwinds. I play trombone. <laughs> Yeah, bunch of band geeks here. All right, last zero question. musical talent right here. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say I had talent. I just I played it. <laughs> I know there's seven positions. All right, what is your biggest pet peeve that people don't know about? It doesn't have to be work related. It can be anything. Like for instance, apparently, I love to keep lights on in the house. It can be about your. It could, it could be about your husband. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So wait, you keep I, lights on, Chris? Is what you're saying? Yeah, on accident. No, yeah, you're supposed I'll, to like, leave a room, forget to turn it off. Do you not pay like, attention I know during, right now? Do you not pay attention during the quarterly dad meetings when we talk about going around and turning all the lights <laughs> off? Like that's like a big topic of discussion. Shutting, every shutting meeting. the cabinet doors, yes. closing the drawers. I keep yes. those closed. I keep those right. closed all the time. All right, all right. sorry. But back to more. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I have a little. I can't remember the word, but chewing and like chewing noises. Misophonia. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, misophonia. And it, it's sometimes it bothers me the most, like obviously, like when I'm really like stressed or I'm not eating. If I'm eating, it doesn't bother me. But if it's like somebody else is chewing and that's just there, maybe I, my selective attention just has like just hyper focuses on it. Um, but I guess I guess nice. that. I love it, love it. Hey, we haven't talked about. I mean, I've talked about my fear of the deep ocean, thalassophobia, plenty of time. Brooke, Kia, what are you guys' fears? Do you have anything you're afraid of, or are you? Nothing, nothing. Your brave heart. We, we haven't talked about this. I don't remember. Oh, We've snakes. Done like... snakes. Snakes. Why does it have to be snakes? I, I don't know. Snakes. <laughs> I just, I can't stand them. They, my stomach is turning over right now just even thinking about him. I owned I a pet when I ran the pet store. I had to like feed the snakes all the time. And so that was always, I don't know. Really learn to get over it. Yeah, I don't know if this is a phobia. I mean, it's certainly not a phobia. There's not going to be anything that qualifies, but I don't <laughs> like it. Like when I'm standing in line, like at the grocery store or something like that, I don't like it when people are too close to me, like when they get close, because I have this irrational fear, like they're going to take my wallet and run away. Like it's yeah. in my back pocket. It's not defended. And so like when you get, <laughs> like if I don't take a step, like if I take, or I take a half step and you take like a full step towards me, like the only reason you would get that close it's because you're trying to steal my wallet. Like that's what, so, immediately where my brain goes. What, I don't know why. What's the is office? It, what is it only say? strangers? I, I, I don't know. I've, I've not really thought about it. But like, because I'm not standing in line, I guess with frenzy, I guess I didn't, I don't notice. But like, if I'm standing in line and a random person like gets too close to me, my immediate thought is you're trying to steal my wallet. No. Like, I don't know why. Here it comes. I've never, <laughs> I've never had my wallet stolen in my entire life. So I don't know where this comes from. But yeah, that's my immediate, where my brain goes right away. One of my favorite. So whatever the phobia is, is for that, that's what I have. That, yeah. One of my favorite office scenes is when Dwight and Jim are doing calls and showing like going to different businesses and 
there's, they show up at a business and Jim's behind Dwight and Dwight's like, no, get in front of me. 85% of attacks happen from behind. And then Jim gets in front of him and slaps him in the face. I could just, that's what I thought of. Well, Morgan, that's how we try to end every episode. And for our guests and everybody out there, thank you well, for listening. Really to quickly, us. hang on, Chris, before you wrap it up, I do want to say a huge yeah. thank you to Morgan because gra- the grad school rep does a lot of things and they do it while they're in grad school. You know, like the rest in of the year, they get one yeah. year. <laughs> yeah, you only get one year to do all this stuff, and you have this big role in the convention. You have all these other things that you've got going on. It is a big job, and it's a big job while you're in the middle of, you know, trying to learn and do all this stuff and manage all those things. So I have a, I have a great appreciation for our grad student reps, and so I just want to say thank you. Yeah, which, we appreciate which, you, Morgan. Which can we? Uh, not that we're. I mean, we're going to miss you, Morgan, as grad student rep um, for the association. But that also means that uh, her position is available, and if you're interested in being considered as graduate student rep, you need to contact Kelsey Tice at past president at txasp.org to uh, to to nominate yourself or someone that you believe would be a good candidate. Oh yeah. All right. Morgan, I've known you alone at a time, but I think you're really awesome too. <laughs> like the boys are saying. So. <laughs> Thanks. Well, we want to thank you for joining us on the Task Talks podcast for all of our listeners out there. Thank you for listening to us every week while you drive to work and your rural school sites with your hour long commutes. If you want to follow what the board is up to, go ahead and follow our social media channels at TXASP, um, Instagram, Facebook, X as well um and our youtube channel where you can find all the shorter series that we have up there uh, if you have any questions or comments go ahead and email us at podcast.txasp.org um i list i read all of them uh the few that come in i don't have a whole bunch of them that come in but i do enjoy them and i do like interacting with some of you guys sometimes also if you like us go ahead and leave us a review leave us five stars leave us one star but really please leave us five stars because we can't do it without you guys committing to do this um that way we can bring you great content every single week during our season. And for everybody that's listening, make good choices.